0: Hi everyone and welcome. My name is Aaron Smith. I'm the CEO of EBA. I've got uh, Nancy Bakeman here with me. And uh, today we're doing the EBA Team Zero webinar podcast. And I'm really excited to have Ken Johnson with us. Ken's been on uh, in the past. He's the Senior Manager of Performance Construction at Metis. And then we're also joined by Rich Williams, the Vice President at Alliance Green Homes. So uh, Ken, can you give us a little introduction on yourself? So I'm Ken Johnson.
1: And as Aaron mentioned, I'm a senior manager for Mitsubishi Electric's performance construction team. We work with architects, uh, engineers, builders, and installers to uh, educate them on the benefits of variable capacity heat pumps, air source heat pumps. And I've been with Mitsubishi almost seven years now. I started in the solar division where we imported solar panels made in Japan and sold them to integrators in the U.S., And then I transitioned over to this performance construction team about three years ago, and really love what I do, and uh, excited to um, hopefully make some change in the world. That's a a positive for everybody, and
0: make homes more comfortable. And that's great. And uh, Rich, you want to tell us a little bit about yourself? And
2: actually, my background, my original background was in immunology, but um, after uh, getting burned out on that, uh, moved to Costa Rica and uh, built a bed and breakfast. uh, uh, on the beach uh, back in uh, uh, the 80s, Perfect. there were uh, wa- water shortages in the dry season. I thought, oh, okay, great. Well, I heard of this thing like great water recycling. I'm gonna do this. So um, under the, uh, uh, the structure, I built uh, two tanks, one for storage of fresh water, one for storage of uh, gray water uh, and learned the hard way that you're not supposed to store gray water for over 24 hours. I had a very stinky house and very stinky toilets. So that was kind of and then I, I met Art Ludwig, who's a West Coast guru for gray water. He advised me what to do. And I, when I, I came back to the uh, U.S. and started working here, uh, in construction I noticed how much uh, construction waste we had that were just getting thrown away so we tried to do recycling we tried to do that type of thing the best we could uh, but when lead came out oh we thought oh we actually was lead for homes was not available at that time yet it was just lead for new construction but it gave us a framework. Uh, for doing um, a green building. And then eventually the recession uh, hit and uh, I started doing consulting work for green building. My now business partner, Jeff Adams, he was doing his first lead project, so I assisted him. Uh, And I had people coming to me because of what I had done saying, hey, would you build a, a green home for me? And I was saying, hey, that's not what I do. I build for myself. But Jeff said, hey, don't turn these people away. Uh, let's uh, let's see if we can start doing working together and work for these people. So we started. We formed Alliance Green Builders and uh, embarked on a client based business uh, doing green building here. Uh, and uh, it's been a great journey uh, together. We've uh, mm-hmm. had a lot of fun. Uh, we got into Passive House and that yeah. took us down a whole other road of building science. So before we were green builders and then we were kind of budding uh, uh, building scientists and, uh, you know, you get into home performance, you start learning all about that and uh, uh, then you really have a lot of fun with the, the building. And so that's, that's where we've been uh, for, for several years now. Fantastic. Well,
0: the, today's topic we want to talk about, and I always tell our team at EVA, we always talk about high-performance home building, but do we ever define it for people, right? So we really wanted to get, uh, get this team together and, and have a discussion about what is a high-performance home. Ken, if you want to start us off, or Rich. Sure, like, great.
1: Yeah, I'm happy to jump in, and Rich, you have a lot of hands-on experience, so I think there are quite a few things that would go into a high-performance home. For example, the building envelope, the insulation levels, the air tightness. Um, Ironically, you know, we're in California, which we think of uh, as a state that kind of leads the the country in many ways. But we don't do blower door tests here, Um, so we don't really measure this. But that is an important factor.
0: Why is California not doing blower door tests? And I was telling the team, I literally just had the blower door guys leave my house here in Minneapolis.
1: I, I honestly don't know the answer to that. We have, you know, HERS Raiders that go out and test all kinds of things. I mean, we, we have them do a lot of, of stuff, but for some reason, the blower door test is not one of them. And it always shocks people that are not in California that we're not doing that. Rich, do you have any knowledge of why?
2: Well, I think, I think it's a little multifaceted. I think that there may be some lobbying by the building industry uh, involved in that. Uh, you know, they don't want to do any more than they have to. I also think, though, uh, a part of this is, you know, the way the way that Title 24 is designed, they're stakeholders. Um, and I think that the way the metric works is they do a cost benefit analysis to figure out, okay, with this measure, if we include this measure, um, how does that work? It boggles me, my, you know that we haven't got an airtightness standard here and you know, Nevada and Texas do, uh, you know, and people argue, oh, it's our climate. But, um, you know, Aaron, as you pointed out, I mean, before we've got some, we've got some pretty extreme climates here. I mean, Rich, are you seeing that as a best practice at all? We have a lot of EBA builders that own their
0: own blower door and actually utilize that on the job site. Are you seeing it as a best practice
2: anywhere? Oh, abs- absolutely. So. In the construction that we do, I mentioned we built the first passive house here, um, but not every home is trying to achieve passive house certification. So we thought let's sneak our passive house fundamentals into standard projects. And we do not get sets of plans for um, high performance homes. We have to work our magic into that. You need to reach a 0.6 ACH 50 for passive house, right? Correct. That's correct. Yes. We have been doing, um, since our first passive house, just insulating really well. Um, You know, we're big fans of cellulose. We try to stay away from bats, um, that type of thing. So um, we have a lot of uh, uh, unvented attic assemblies. So we are utilizing uh, closed cell uh, spray foam. A lot of times it's actually code for unvented attics that we have to do that either um, underneath the uh, uh, roof deck or uh, we have rigid foam on top of the roof deck. Uh, but we've been insulating well and then adding air sealing. And just by by doing those two things with a standard code built home, it's amazing the, the difference that we're seeing. Um, the only complaint we have, it seems, from our clients is that they spent all this money on these high efficiency HVAC systems that are never get used. <laughs> and so Jeff has this great saying, it's like the most efficient home uh, or the most efficient system that you have in a home is the one that's never used. So, I think Ken, what you talked about is so
0: critical. If you can build it tight to start and insulate it right to start, That Mm -hmm. enables some really cutting-edge, high-performance things to happen after that. Why don't you take us through? Sure.
1: Yeah, it definitely does. And and actually, in some ways, can save you money on your mechanical systems, right? Because you're no longer needing a large HVAC system. You can have a very uh, efficient and smaller system that can uh, service the entire home. So nowadays, I think we're becoming more and more conscious of indoor air quality, and the need for proper filtration. In California now, the standard for new construction is MERV 13 filters. So, I mean, we've kind of alluded to that along the way here, but efficiency is so critical. Um, so, I don't know th- there are a lot of different ways to come at this. Um, I think of all electric too as being high performance.
0: Ken, did you see the? Um the White House today announced their acceleration of America's buildings for a more affordable, cleaner, and resilient future. I think the word heat pumps was mentioned in there about eight times. Oh, okay. I wasn't,
1: I didn't see that yet, Aaron, but yesterday I joined a webinar and, um, they had CEOs and different people from, um, you know, nonprofits and utilities and things like that, that were speaking. Uh, and it was with the Biden administration and, uh, and they had at least three HVAC companies on there. And they were talking about new standards and improving things. So I think this was probably uh, correlated with what you were just alluding to.
0: In California, Rich, you're facing an all-electric decarbonized code. But I think with the current administration in D.C., we're starting to see that push. There, We're hearing about some more rewards for builders for building all-electric decarbonized. But that, I think lends itself to what you're talking about, Ken, of, you know, it's, it's more comfortable. It's, it's a healthier home. um, It's a more efficient home and it's perhaps a more resilient or durable home as well.
1: We're kind of on the way in California towards electrification. Uh, The next code cycle is being worked on now, and that will become effective uh, for new permits January 1st of 2023. I think that's going to take us a long ways toward it. So, but yeah, I agree that those are all resiliency. I'm glad you brought that up here, and that's um, something I failed to mention that I think is part of it. And I lived in Japan for uh, seven years, and... uh, that was the time when when there was something called sick home syndrome. And I I, don't, I think that was in the US too, probably, but it was related to uh, sheetrock, um, among other things. And uh, so, you know, thankfully, we don't hear about that as much anymore. But, uh, you know, the materials are, are very important for our health as well.
0: We talked about a high performance home and, and Rich, have we defined that well enough for the audience? Or do you want to kind of give us another, you know, what's What's the Rich Williams definition of a high-performance
2: home? Why would you want a high-performance home is a good question to, to answer, actually, before we actually define it. So why would you do it? I think there's, it could be divided into two different categories. Um, you know, there's people who uh, want to do the right thing, so um, you have a high-performance home. Um, you know, for altruistic reasons, uh, and that would include, um, as as you said, Ken, the electrification, the way that we're moving here in California. You know, there's jurisdictions here that actually have uh, total bans for any ga- um, gas piping going into new construction. People have a hard time giving up their uh, their um, cook uh, gas cooking, for example. But they're actually going to outlaw fire, um, gas fireplaces, which is is going to also probably be some pushback on that. So there's the altruistic reasons for doing it, but then there's the direct occupant benefits, um, as Ken was saying, um, things things like thermal comfort. Everybody wants to be comfortable in their homes, and really everybody wants to have good indoor air quality. So those are the primary benefits. You know, we like to think of the homes that we build as being multi generational. Um, and that actually even gets into interior design you want to have timeless design you don't want to say let's oh, so that's so 2020s, those types of things everybody really does want a high performance home they don't know it um, often clients come to us and say i want an energy efficient home but it goes beyond that we do actually have a lot of pushback though from folks when we start talking about filtered mechanical uh, fresh air ventilation systems like energy recovery ventilators or heat recovery right. ventilators People say, oh, we just keep our doors and windows open and uh, so we don't need that expense, you know, but <laughs> we're required to have mechanical ventilation here in California though, it's part of the code. Right, and and that works
0: in California until we have fires, right? And now we need to close everything um, and that's a resiliency part, right? You brought up an interesting point of homeowners say, I want an energy efficient home, um, but what's the difference between a high efficiency home in a high-performance home. I
1: think, you know, Rich kind of alluded to this in his uh, remarks just a little bit ago, and that is um, um, comfort to me is, is also part of high performance. Uh, it would encompass efficiency too, but comfort is so important. and. Um, And I think if we talk just about efficiency, it's really about, you know, limiting the amount of energy required to power
0: your home. You know, the way some builders think about it is in terms of programs, but are there different programs that you look at kind of along the continuum that, you know, these might be high efficiency or, you know, following Title 24 is high efficiency, but others are more high performance?
2: Yeah, Title 24 is really, it's not a really good modeling program. It helps you understand whether you're in compliance, you're actually meeting minimum minimum energy code. I think if you bring craftsmanship back to the construction process, you could actually pretty easily achieve a high performance home uh, that way. So I think it's just putting in th- a lot of thought into how a home is built, you know, thinking of the home as being, um, you know, a piece of uh, craft work. Uh, you know, the, the original idea behind, you know, what we if humans had is shelter, you know, what we, safety, comfort, you know, those types of things. And we got lost somewhere along the way. It all became like, what does my home look like? You
0: know, so we're trying to get back to that. Part know. of it is probably the craftsmanship of the building science of the home. And that same pride of construction that comes in the building science is probably a, a nice way to capture that. Uh, the other piece that I think we didn't really talk about is the operational costs, the the energy,
2: the utilities cost? Something that Ken talked about, um, you know, there's the first cost as well. So you actually, um, in building uh, Habitat for Humanity did a study uh, up in Davis where they, they built a net zero energy home and determined they could actually build their their, you know as compared to the standard home same standard home they actually could build it for three thousand dollars less for doing a net zero energy so it makes makes good sense for first costs as well in san diego it's a really hard sell for us to tell people they're going to save money on their their energy bills especially if they're going towards all electric now um, although i've just discovered um, that heat pump water heaters um, I think you can actually um, have lower first costs installing those versus a tankless water heater, gas tankless water heater, and also they're actually less expensive to run because of their efficiencies. Um, but um, it's it, you know we're living in such a mild climate here in San Diego, it's a hard sell, but in other areas, it makes perfect sense. One thing yeah. I'd
1: add is, um, Aaron, is our utility rates here are just you know off the charts. I looked at mine last night and we were really being pushed now into time of use rates. So we have different rates at different times of day, and they're trying to you know disincentivize us from using a lot of energy during peak times. And peak times have shifted so that they're now more like the time you come home from work. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so we're generally 4 to 9 p.m. That's considered peak time. But I looked at mine yesterday, and our peak time in the summer is now 60 cents a kilowatt hour, which is unbelievable. Um, now, in my case, it works out okay because I have solar and my peak time is two to eight. So I'm actually exporting a lot of power at that time and getting these credits at 60 cents and then using the energy back at 16 cents in off-peak hours, which are like 10 PM to 8 AM. Yeah. But, um, so energy costs are expensive here. When I was in solar, I talked to quite a few people who would be spending two hundred plus, you know, 400 was not uncommon, occasionally a thousand dollars on their electric bills. So solar could have a really great payback of, you know, five years. Um, And as Rich mentioned, I don't know if this is, if the audience will know this, but uh, California does require solar on almost every home. That's a really small amount of solar that's required. Yeah. And so the, what you need to offset is if you had chosen to go with gas and electric, meaning gas for your cooking, your dryer, your furnace your hot water, what would be left over from that? How much electric would be left over from that? That's what you need to offset. So oftentimes with an average size production home, you're looking at probably one and a half to three kilowatt systems, which are pretty small, because you know, if they do choose down the road to switch to heat pump water heaters or a mini split system for their home, um, electric vehicles and things like that, they, you know, they would definitely be able to consume that extra energy.
0: And do you have net metering in California? Uh,
1: we do have net metering, and it's gone through a few iterations. Um, uh, so net metering, the, the original version of it, you really didn't have to pen, spend a penny if you were producing enough energy. Uh, I'm on net metering 2.0, and I pay like a, a non-bypassable charges, which work out to about $14 or $15 a month. Hmm. so it's it's not too bad and now i'm honestly not sure i haven't kept up on it but it's probably a little bit more than that i would assume
0: ken do you look at battery storage too to get you through those peak i've never heard uh, 60 cents a kilowatt hour uh i've never heard of that i i lived in connecticut and we had 22 cents a kilowatt hour we thought we were the worst in the country at that price
1: my my feelings on batteries is that in general they're um for new construction, they might work out. I've talked to some builders who said if they put in batteries, they can avoid doing some other things. And what they'll do is they can put in a leased solar system and battery combination. So it doesn't cost the builder anything.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And then the homeowner just makes the monthly payments. Mm-hmm. Um, so that could work. For me, as an, uh, an owner of an older home, it really wasn't didn't make sense financially I'm essentially using the utility as my storage. So I mean, I I send it out, I get these credits, and then I I use it. it that actually works out quite
0: well. Fantastic, Rich. What's your experience with batteries? What's the uh, landscape um, out there?
2: Yeah, that's it's actually you know it's it is it is becoming a component of performance home building where um, we're we're starting to look at a scenario where you know we've got all the solar um, and um, you know we're moving towards a time of use um, situation where you know you're going to want to start using that solar not exporting it to the grid so that would be going into your storage which you could use at um, uh, expensive times of day but also um, components of your home um, that or, or would be operational during times where you do have the excess solar so you know you have your smart smart dryer that or your smart laundry that turns on when you have those types of things so you know that's where smart, smart home technology is moving uh, towards is being able to actually have a power management work a lot better the um, california code um, they're promoting storage in the code right now um through when you're trying to get compliance in the performance pathway which everybody uses they don't use the prescriptive pathway um if you have a home that doesn't comply um you can add storage to that and then that gives you that bump to get over the finish line towards uh, towards compliance so they really california really does want to have a distributed energy and so they're promoting that and with each code cycle that gets it's going to get tougher and tougher people are going to start looking to. uh uh, use battery storage more, but also the the um, individual uh, financial incentive is there as the utilities are more moving towards time of use. Um, you know, you're gonna you know, you're gonna come home from from work and then find out that you you know almost 100 percent of your energy bill is being used in just a few hours of the evening. So um, that's a motivator right there for for storage. And, and we have actually done batteries in older homes. Um, you know, like Ken's. Yeah. Um, it's, it's possible to do. Um, and um, we've done, we've got one project, the one that uh, Ken had mentioned earlier. Um, we, I think we have, it's a, it's kind of over the top project but it was a lot of fun because we got to throw the spaghetti at the wall at this one here. Uh, kind of old spanish style home uh, with barrel tile roof uh, but we have 146 solar panels on it and seven Tesla power twos so <laughs> but i like how many square
0: feet is this uh,
2: uh well we have a 1200 uh, square foot accessory dwelling unit I think the main house is about uh, close to 5,000 square foot and there's a pool house. So, you know, it's a big estate. It was actually the um, the, the original home there was built uh, in the early 1900s. It was the original um, agricultural estate here um, in the town that we live, so.
0: For my solar panels, if I have a grid outage event, I have to shut down. If I add batteries to that equation, I now can operate in a loop and keep my house running during a resilience, you know, a power outage or fires or, are homeowners asking for that from a resiliency perspective more than the ROI perspective? And maybe Ken will turn that sure. to you.
1: Yeah, I, I definitely think that's a big play right now, especially in California where we're having forest fires and our, our fire seasons are getting longer and longer. And what we're, what we're seeing now is utilities know how fires are starting, which is oftentimes with their power lines. Yeah. And so they're doing these controlled blackouts where let's say that we have something called the Santa Ana winds coming in. And they know that it's it's going to be problematic. They will intentionally just cut the power. It's not like it you know a tree fell in the line. They're just be taking a proactive measure, and um, you know that could be out for an extensive amount of time. So your freezer, you know, your foods could be uh, in play there in jeopardy. So um, I think that is something that people are, are thinking more and more about. You know, the as a great motivation to have batteries.
0: Yeah every year, every six months, yep. it's starting to get really close, especially if you got 60 cents a kilowatt hour. Right. Um, Ken, I'd, I'd love to hear more about your house. Uh, you've got a 1930s home in Long Beach, California. And can you talk about some of the home retrofit, um, things that you've done to bring that house to where it is today?
1: Sure. Yeah. Yeah. My house, like you said, is, uh, it was built in 1938 in Long Beach and it's a single level home, 1600 square feet. And when I first started at Mitsubishi uh, in the solar division, my boss was really pushing me to put solar on my house. But at that time, our power usage was so minimal that it just didn't make sense. I mean, our, our annual bills, I think were under $400.
0: So,
1: um, what changed for me was in at the end of 2017, I got a Volkswagen e-golf, which is their electric version, all electric plug-in. Then I suddenly made sense, you know, that I could justify having a solar system on my house. So that's kind of where it all started. And what I did was I oversized the solar system. And the way I could do that was to tell my utility that eventually I was going to go all electric. And that's why I needed to have a bigger system than what my usage had been historically. Our next step was to change our gas dryer out for an electric dryer. Uh, We've noticed no difference in terms of performance or you know damage to clothing or anything like that.
0: Did you do a a pure electric dryer or did you do a heat pump electric dryer?
1: I did a pure electric and you know in hindsight maybe a heat pump dryer would have been a better choice because it's really gentle on clothes I've heard, uh, very energy efficient and plus A regular dryer as i'm sure you know takes air out of your space out of your home and so you have infiltration that's uncontrolled and then recently um, there were some nice incentives that came into play and we had an old gas furnace with Mm. a a split system with a a condenser that was right outside of our bedroom uh, wall and uh, it was loud um, it was uncomfortable in the winter when the heat would come on it you know, the house would be cold, it would feel good for a while, and then pretty soon it's like, oh, this is too hot, I'm uncomfortable, you know, take off that sweater, then it shuts off, and the temperature would drift down several degrees, and that's like, oh, I'm getting a little chilly here, and then the thing would kick in, it, it was just, it was a mess, and noisy, and what I did was, uh, rather than, than go ductless, I decided to keep my, um, you know, duct system, I, I replaced the ducts, but we just kept the same kind of topology, I guess, if you will, and put in an air handler. And um, we left the condenser right where it was, which is outside of our room, because that was a convenient place. Uh, But now, of course, that condenser is super quiet. Mm -hmm. And I've noticed, I mean, the difference in our house is pretty unbelievable in terms of comfort. We did good air balancing. um, But now when we set the temperature to, let's say, 70 or 72, um, that's where it stays. And I I learned things about our system that even though I've been selling them for a few years, I didn't know. And that was not only are we variable in capacity in terms of like the volume of air coming out, but also the temperature of the air coming out. So when we just need a little bit of warmth to bring the temperature up or maintain it, you know, you might see the air coming out at high 80s. But when, it, when you have a big delta T, you need 5 or 10 degrees, then it really cranks up and you might see that temperature um, of the supplier at 100 or more.
0: Just a quick note for for the homeowners at home. Delta T would be the temperature differential.
1: Correct, yeah. That's That's part of
0: our industry lingo. We we love to say Delta T. Right,
1: right. So um, anyway, what that did, and I I think this is a key point, is um, when you have a heat pump, and a lot of experts will will explain this better than me, but you want a long run cycle and at low power, So, you know, the, these, these inverters ramp up and ramp down. So you want the cycle to run a long time so that everything in the house can get to a set point, uh, what they call a mean radiant temperature. And so you don't want uh, what, what, what you do want, I should say, is you want your walls, you want your ceiling, you want your furniture, you want your floors, you want everything to kind of coalesce around that set point. Mm -hmm. and my wife is uh, somebody who's always freezing, and when we put the new system in, she said, I've noticed our floors are much warmer than they used to be, and Mm -hmm. I thought, hey, this is working, and I had talked to one of the real big energy gurus in California about about, uh, the, the temperature differential you can experience in a home from the floor to the ceiling, what's called stratification, and he said with traditional systems it's not uncommon to see 10 15 20 degree difference between the floor and the ceiling and he said with heat pumps he sees generally about two degrees uh difference there and and that's what i feel now i really understand what he was talking about so right. so um changing out that system we also added a MERV 13 filter so that was good even though we have a lot of infiltration still in our house it's not airtight um, that i think has helped our indoor air quality quite a bit The next thing we did was to put a heat pump water heater in Mm. and uh, we went with a ream unit Mm -hmm. Uh, it's under our house we have a little bit of mechanical space under our house which isn't too common in california but uh, that's down there with our air handler and we really like it a lot Um, they have a great app uh, that actually tells you how many kilowatt hours of energy you're using on a daily or monthly basis Mm-hmm. Um, which I really like and uh, you can program the heck out of it so you're using energy when it's off peak time um, so I've, I've been very happy with that the last thing it was the induction stove that we yeah. put in yeah. and that has been quite an experience too my wife loves to cook and um, she was hesitant about uh, getting going away from gas and I think you know as a society, we've really been convinced that you have to cook with gas, but she's definitely a convert now. And um, some of the things that she likes about it um, are of course cleanup, which everyone hears about, you know, the glass top versus removing those grids and, you know, scrubbing and things like that. Um, Also the fact that the temperatures are on a scale of zero to 10 or one to 10. And she said, you know, when I'm doing deep frying, I can just, choose seven and I know it's going to be at the same temperature every time. I don't have to look over to see how much you know uh, gas I'm using and put the thermometer in or anything like that. Um, also when you're if you haven't cooked with these, uh, they're extremely quick. They're probably they oftentimes seem faster than a microwave. And let's say that you're boiling water for yeah. spaghetti or whatever. Yeah. Um you can then you don't need to get pot holders out to take the pot off and drain the water. The handles are room temperature, which was pretty amazing. So um, that that's a nice thing. And then the last thing I'll add is uh, you can use the stove as a countertop, essentially, because you don't have to worry about flames kind of getting over or other surfaces getting hot because it's just in the area below the, the pot or pan that you're using. So that's that's been wonderful. I really love the induction, and, and we just love the fact that our house is now 100% electric and... We have the electric vehicle and the solar and everything. So we feel really good about where we're at. And, and it was quite economical, actually, to do all these things as well. Even the EV was economical. The solar system paid back quickly. The HVAC system, uh, there were some great incentives for that on the heat pump water heater. So it, it was very economical.
0: And do you want to talk a little bit about the um, rebates and utility incentives that are available? I mean, Again, you can talk specific to California. I think people sure. can- D-S-I-R-E uh, mm-hmm. dot U-S-A and find all of the rebates. Um, they can find that on the resources page at EBA. but go ahead and tell yeah. us the rebates and incentives. Sure. Yeah. On a
1: national level, there's still a, a good incentive for solar panels. In fact, it increased with the Biden administration back to 26%. What we were able to get from Southern California Electric, our utility was uh, $1,500 for, uh, for our heat pump system to replace our gas furnace. We got another 1500 from something called the Southern California Air Quality Management District. Uh, for the heat pump water heater, there was a $1,000 incentive. Now, unfortunately, the two um, incentives from Edison have expired as of March 31st, but the Air Quality Management District rebate is still available in Southern California.
0: An interesting point is that the Air Quality Management District is incenting this, and it's because of...
2: Yeah, air health. quality. It's because of
0: quality. So I'm intrigued by the changes you've made. Have you felt like you had better indoor air quality, indoor environmental quality? You talked about it in terms of comfort, but what about um, for for human health? Are you doing anything with air monitoring where you can see that your air quality is better in that home? Well, actually, I'm glad you
1: mentioned that. Um, Going back in time a little bit, um, I had heard that cooking with gas was pretty unhealthy. Yeah. And uh, I uh, don't tell Amazon, but I ordered several monitors <laughs> just to kind of compare them and see which ones um, seem to do a good job. And I, I think I had three or four of them around the kitchen and my wife started cooking. And of course these things started going red line, like what's going on, emergency, emergency. And um, after a short amount of time, my wife was going bonkers and she said, I'm not gonna cook anymore. So I quickly quickly packaged those up and sent them back to Amazon. Um, so I knew that you know cooking with gas was very unhealthy. Um, and going to electric based on hearing a lot of talks from the Lawrence Berkeley people, yes that cooking with electric was much, much safer. And when you think about it, what are we doing? You know, we're burning gas inside our house and we're inhaling these fumes. I mean, it, it just doesn't make sense. I think we'll look back on this time and go, what were we thinking? <laughs> but um, anyway, as far as um, how our house feels now, uh, honestly, I don't know. I, can, I go down and look at the MERV 13 filter and it's pretty dirty. So then I feel like we're doing something great. But in, in reality, our house is not airtight. It's, you know, if we did a blower door test, it would, it would fail <laughs> with flying colors. So we do still get a lot of dust in the house. Um, but I don't know. So I don't know the answer to that. We don't have any monitors right now because my wife will stop cooking if I get them. So I'm not going to do
0: that. And Rich, is that the same thing that, that you're kind of seeing deployed in new home construction is it the same menu of items that people should be looking for in a high performance home? Is that what builders should be offering? Is that what architects should be designing in? What's your
2: take? What um, Ken's done in retrofit is, 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 is great because you know you do, do the same thing. It really does uh, pass over to a new construction. Um, one of the things that um, Ken talked about with the electric conventional electric dryer, the greatest challenge maybe that we have to deal with in a high performance home is that you know when you have a really nice airtight home, you've got things like your dryer and your range hood um, that are trying to get air. Um, so how do you deal with that? So um, we we like to do heat pump dryers. We've been doing heat pump dryers for a while. Um, they've got a really interesting history. Um, you know they've been around in in Europe since 1997, um, but had a really hard time adopting that to the American marketplace because. Number one, they tend to be small volume as far as the capacity goes. And number two, they take a long time. As Americans, we like to have big loads and that, that you know dries really quick. So um, Whirlpool figured that, they cracked that nut. They came out with uh, um, the first ones that were available here and now there's others. Uh, we've been doing a couple of milas and um, you know everybody's been happy with them. We've had no complaints whatsoever. And it really does solve the problem of having to deal with you know a dryer that's sucking up 150 cubic feet per minute of air, where is that coming from? So, so, trying to suck it through the envelope, which you know when you have a super tight house, you're starving the dryer. It's going to take a long time. It's going to burn out the motor faster. So we do, we do look at like those. Um, but the nice thing about induction versus gas, for example, is you really don't need to have as much ventilation. You know these people have these big industrial gas cooktops. You know commercial systems. And, you know, they've got a range hood that, you know, suck the cat off the floor. Um, where's that air, air all coming from, you, you know? So we have to do makeup air dampers. We've, we've just finished a home where the owners wanted to have gas um, and we, we did an interlocking makeup air so that, you know, there's a mechanical damper that opens to provide um, outside air. Um, that ho- house was pretty tight. We sealed that down uh, with aero barrier down to about 0.83, I think, uh, ACH. Um, so super, super tight home. Um, so there's not enough room there for the hood. Um, and then we, we found out afterwards, like, you know, every time we cook, our house gets really cold. What's going on here? <laughs> it's because of the makeup air. The house is so comfortable that when you actually have the makeup air, bringing cool air from the outside. And, we're, it's in, you know, we're in May. It's just a great time of year in uh, San Diego. But they, the house is so comfortable that they're actually noticing that differential when the makeup air is coming in. So it really does actually display... Um, you know, what's great about that high performance home and what's bad about that high performance home, because they've got a range hood that's it's sucking a lot of air from the outside uh, and it's creating discomfort for them. But they got their gas cooking. Um, we had another client um, who they wanted a gas cooktop. Um, and then at the end, when the project was all done, they said to me, we should have done induction, shouldn't we? said, <laughs> I tried to tell you. <laughs> they realized afterwards. So, um, you know, we are, we're going to be moving away from, from gas here really soon in California um, uh, towards induction. Um, we have a client that we, I loaned my portable um, induction cooktop to, to try and convince her to get off gas. Um, and she tried it out um, and she was, she was so concerned about it. She said, I don't want to do that. I've got all this cookware. Her comment afterwards after trying it out was, I guess I was making a big deal about nothing, wasn't I? <laughs> you know, so it's actually, they've done it in Europe. They're so far ahead of us. We'll all be, in, it, it's, it's inevitable it's, uh, in California, we're going to have uh, no more natural gas and everyone's going to be happy with it. So it's so much a better way of cooking. It's like, I thought my gas
0: car was really great until I drove an electric car and I'm like, this is way better. That's the same way I feel about gas cooking through induction cooktops. I mean, just a commercial, we, we actually work with Monarch Appliances out of California with uh, Rochelle Boucher, who's a professional chef, and mm-hmm. we have a series on cooking with induction. You know, go watch that, learn more about it, but it is just phenomenal, and I can't get over boiling water in 58 seconds.
1: One thing I wanted to add, too, is I, I talked to a, a designer recently who designs a lot of custom homes, and he works in the, up in the Bay Area as well. And he said that the cost of a gas meter now from the utility um, can be 10,000 plus dollars. He said 10 to 30,000. So what he's been doing, and I love this, he's going to the builder or to the homeowner and the builder and saying, hey, give me that $10,000 or that 20 or 30 or whatever it may be. I'll give you a VRF system, a mini split system.
0: That's variable refrigerant flow.
1: Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, and there's so many terms to describe it. Mini splits in California now we're calling it variable capacity heat pumps. Sure. Uh, but thank you. Yeah. And then also a little more solar, uh, maybe batteries even can fit in there. And they're going to have a house. Uh, we talked about this a little bit earlier the ongoing you know, total cost of ownership of a house when you don't have a utility payment for years and years and years and years. I mean, that's a significant savings. So um, I, I just love the idea of taking that gas money and, and spending it on other things and going electric.
0: Rich, what's your take on the different energy rating systems and what should homeowners be aware of and be looking for?
2: Yeah, um, so the two the two most common certifications that, that we see here are, are LEED um, and also um, uh, the Greenpoint-rated certification. That's uh, administered by Bill De Green, um, Started off in San Francisco Bay Area. It's very California centric, um, and they're they're very different in that a lead is way more rigorous. And um, people complain about lead, and I say, well, you know, it's great that it's rigorous because it's an achievement if you can actually. Uh, you know, get lead certification. That's wonderful. Uh, both of them really create a framework for understanding what do I need to do to build a green home. I mean, you know, like I used to be, I had no idea what to do. So having having the framework there is great. Um, and, and lead, you know, kind of their their purpose is all constantly raise the bar. So you know, they want to they want to be ahead of code and have code be an example for where code should be. So um, you know. We like to think that we're building ahead of code, um, that we're building a house that, you know, is not going to be illegal to build in three years when the code changes that, you know, we're, we're 20 more years down the road to do that. It's not just about energy.
0: It's about indoor environmental quality. It's about water, and you talked originally about water um, issues, you know, it looks thoughtfully at how water is used in the home. And uh, so can you talk about kind of that holistic approach that LEED takes?
2: Wow, yeah, it's, um, you know, there's so many different categories there. Um, There is a lot of things that are intrinsic to the location, Um, you know, everything from um, community connectivity. Um, you know, walkability, how are, are you, are you close to transport, you know, public transport, are you close to shopping where you could ride your bike or uh, walk there, those, those things like community connectivity. Um, then there's the actual site that you're using, are you using a, a site that was previously developed uh, as it infill, um, those types of things versus you know, virgin greenfield that you're, you're, you know, you're, you're building a house on, you know, that used to be uh, open space. So that's obviously no, no, um, they give you credit for smaller homes versus bigger ones. Um, and then they get into um, things like uh, uh, the construction process, you know, are you, are you recycling those types of things, um, how energy efficient is the home. Um, uh, you know, in California, the rest of the country uses the HERS rating system in California. We think we're special, so we have Title 24. Um, so how, how much better are you than the minimum code requirement for Title 24? Um, and then you're getting into water, um, uh, materials, um, recycled content and materials, whether that's insulation or um, flooring or countertops. So, I mean, it's, it's completely broad. I mean, Good. they go into Rich. everything.
0: I think you brought up an important point, which is we talked a lot about, you know, indoor environmental quality, indoor air quality, but there's a healthy materials portion of that lead for homes as well. And that would go back to what um, you were saying earlier about the drywall, you know, or um, plywood or OSB off-gassing, but there are some requirements in there around protecting the health of the homeowner can you talk a little bit about those rich and, and how yeah you...
2: yeah so um, the metric that's used for uh, materials as to whether they're healthy or not um, is typically volatile organic compounds yeah. and um, they reference a, um, a sheet um, that you can get for um, the different metric and what the what the content can be for VOCs and specific sealants or uh, Paints so those types of things, and that's uh, by the South Coast Air Quality Management District. So that's what we utilize here. The nice thing is in California now is that, you know, everything that leave requires um, is already the things that you can purchase at the store. You can't actually purchase materials here in California that go over that threshold uh, for volatile organic compounds. So it's really easier in California. Yeah, this is, I mean, this, this uh, example of this house here is, uh, um, is, is pretty typical as far as the components of what we would do in a, a high performance home. Um, it's, um, um, it's, an old, it's, it's modern um, um, interior design on the inside, but um, the traditional uh, Spanish architecture on the outside but all of the roof assemblies is unvented. So we use closed cell foam there uh, for the roof assemblies. So that was, uh, a, and then, that was a spray foam, Rich? Correct, Okay, yeah. So mm-hmm. closed cell un- spray foam.
0: Unvented closed cell spray foam. I'm sure you're getting yeah. a really good R value for that. Really nice air tightness mm-hmm. on it.
2: Yeah, but also uh, a component of that too. And the reason it is part of California code for unvented attic assemblies that you need to use foam is that um, in the heating season when, um, there's a potential for condensation. To occur in assembly like that, the, the dew point occurs inside of the foam layer. Um, you know, when you have that stratification, uh, temperature stratification there, and there's a, the dew point that actually reaches in the foam layer, and then you don't get the condensation. So um, that's, uh, you know, building durability, durability, mold, indoor air quality. It goes, that takes care of a lot of different things. Uh, but then in the walls, we also do uh, dense back cellulose that, that completely fills. Um, all the, uh, the the voids right there. This is actually a wet spray. So, and then it's screeded off. So it's uh, 100% full contact on all six sides of a stud bay, for example. Um, that's another thing that I think is coming in the pipeline for, for California. This code cycle, they're encouraging and uh, credits um, the use of uh, energy recovery and uh, heat recovery ventilators. So to have balanced ventilation in the home. And then um, we go into been using heat pump uh, water heaters uh, for quite a while uh, there um, there's um, things that people really need to understand about heat pump water heaters it's not a slam dunk there you need to have uh, because it does a heat exchange you need to have a suitable location for that um, garages are great because then, you, you know, you're cooling the garage and utilizing the hot air there. So you can't just stick these in a closet. They're a little bit noisy. Uh, they're like an old refrigerator. So you definitely don't want that located next to your bedroom. So um, these are the kind of things that you have to really think about uh, as far as heat pump water heaters. And so um, they're not, they're not a slam dunk. They're um, a little more difficult to locate. Uh, one thing
1: that uh, I was wondering if you would talk about a little bit is the HVAC system because you have a wide variety of, of uh, mini splits in the home, and uh, maybe talk about which ones you used and, and how that yeah
2: went yeah so that was uh, yeah that was next after the heat pump water heater so oh, okay, uh, sure. uh, yeah and we 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 have um, we've kind of used almost everything that Mitsubishi makes I think so in that particular home so um, we have uh, um, in what one area of the house um, kind of the um, the southern side of the house. Um, is a, a ducted uh, a mini split system, but we use the uh, uh, Mitsubishi um, uh, air handler, probably the same one that you have or similar to the same one that you have in your, your home, Ken, where you did a change out of a standard furnace. Um, that's that's up there. We have the uh, um, uh, non-ducted uh, ceiling cassettes. So they're the new sets that uh, um, they go on a standard, uh, uh, 16 inch uh, bay it's a hard sell for people um, to put the wall cassettes on that have, this house does have wall cassettes in certain locations um, like the boys bedrooms where they don't really worry so much about aesthetics uh, but then in more kind of high profile areas like the living room and the media room uh, we have the ceiling cassettes uh it's there so you know so we've got ducted non-ducted the non-ductors, ceiling cassettes, wall cassettes. So we have a little bit of everything. It's a sporadic mm-hmm. board of uh, equipment in that home.
0: When I do my uh, heat pump system for this old house, um, you know, that's sometimes a really easy way to retrofit. Uh, Ken, can you just talk about that kind of retrofit versus new? I yeah. So I think there
1: are many options here, depending on what you're trying to achieve. Um, if you, have a gas furnace and you know you want to not change your supply registers, your returns and things like that, you can just plug and play with a new air handler, which is what I did. And I think that's a decent solution, especially if you have a single level home that's not too large. Um, when you start talking about multi-story, two and three story products, then, then I think it makes sense to have some zoning so that you don't have that heat rising up to the second floor in the summer and, and uh, you know, different temperatures when you don't want them. So zoning can be important. And, and you might even consider, for example, zoning you know, the master bedroom from other spaces, um, you know, areas that you're spending more time in. And now there are a lot of options, uh, kind of as Rich mentioned, there are ceiling cassettes, both one way and four way. So we oftentimes see the four ways going into a living dining kitchen area where they can send in the air all different directions. Uh, the one way cassettes are really attractive. And uh, I was just before COVID hit, I was at a uh, builder's open house up in the Bay Area. And we had 500 prospective buyers come through on a Saturday. And at the end of the tour, I would ask them, so what did you think of the HVAC system? And they said, what HVAC system? And I would point up at the ceiling and they're like, oh, what's that? So when they're on the ceiling, people don't really you know, notice them. As far as the wall mount units, they're making some more attractive ones now. Um, the reality is that around the world, wall mounts are what everyone uses, and uh, they wouldn't think twice about it. But in the U.S., we're not quite accustomed to seeing them. So I think that uh, there's still a ways to go there before they're 100% accepted. But Um, The, the, there are some called pancake units. There are horizontal ducted ones that can go into soffit or an attic and hit a few rooms. Those are oftentimes used in custom homes. And again, you can have any kind of supply register you want. So people don't even know that they have a super high performance system. Um, And aesthetically, you know, it's just what they have always seen.
0: Any final thoughts? I know we're kind of getting to time, but uh, Rich, any other pieces of that? I, I know you probably did solar on the on the build and um, did you do batteries there? Did you do induction cooktop? What were the others? Yeah, so we did, yeah, this
2: is the, it, it's really fun, the induction cooktop. Um, this house uh, in the accessory dwelling unit, we did do an induction cooktop, but in the main house, um, they were really reluctant to give up their gas. So we convinced them to do Uh, a hybrid. So they've got um, side by side induction and gas. Uh, And uh, it's, it's been, it's been fun because the, the husband, he absolutely loves the induction. He he timed his, how to do his hot water. He loves it. The wife, not so much. She said, well, when I cook, I like to hold the, you know, the, the pan up and toss my food, you know, and so I can't do that on the induction. So Uh, Well, one of the things I love about the Passive House community, everybody shares all the disaster stories. So those are the fun things to talk about. So helping other people uh, not make mistakes. So we learned in our very first uh, um, ceiling cassette installation um, on a slightly sloped roof that you can't do slightly sloped ceilings because there's a pan there that collects water. So (laughs) (laughs) if it's sloped, the water goes in the wrong direction. It doesn't go down the tube that you want it to go down.
1: That's true. Yeah. One other thing we didn't really talk about much was controls mm. and, you know, tying all this technology together is important for some homeowners and somewhat minimal technology and somewhat really sophisticated technology. Um, our, our systems, for example, and I'm sure this is true of many other uh, competitors, can be tied into the, the Crestrons, the Control 4s, the Savants, or if you're going for the Amazon Alexa, the Apple HomeKit, the Google Home, And then, you know, all manufacturers these days pretty much have their own system as well. So uh, we love the the fact that we can just control things from our phone. And, um, you know, now we're home all the time, so it's not as relevant. But if you were traveling and then, you know, you're at the airport and you want to set your house for a certain temperature, by the time you get there, you can do that. Um, And and it's a great energy efficiency tool as well.
2: I think people now think of technology as being part of Um, what they would consider a high performance home, a smart home, you know, so a lot of people ask, like, well, I say, well, yeah, I want a smart home, but really, what does that mean? It's a little bit like saying, I want an energy efficient home, Um, you know, so you can say, well, what do you actually want? And they they don't usually know, Um, they want to be able to operate their home um, off their phone, those types of things. But really, um, I think people need to understand that um, you need to limit the technology in the home those things that are really going to have a direct positive effect on your quality of life in the home technology for the sake of technology in the home i know everybody wants a smart home but keep it keep it down to those things are really actually going to make a big difference in your life
1: i agree rich and i I think the best technology is the kind that fades into the background that you don't have to think about it all the time it's there when you need it but it it enhances your life versus creating more things Mm -hmm. to do or more distractions
2: yeah yeah and actually one of the things too that we didn't even talk about is lighting um that's that's been a lot of fun is getting into lighting now because um, you know I think people have now become aware of uh, uh, blue lights and the effect on, on sleep and melatonin levels and stuff so you know looking to lighting for not just um, uh, you know the way that if you dim your light that it will get a little bit warmer temperature kind of what you know smart dimming is uh, we we started calling that uh, but also um, reducing blue light in the evening so actually having lighting um, be high performance unto itself uh, component so that's something that you uh, um, you know, that we, we've been looking at a lot too. So I think people need to consider it that because lighting lighting is so important.
0: Uh, have you gone to all low voltage lighting as well? Or have you taken a look at that?
2: Yeah, we, we did. Um, we, uh, at this particular home that Ken had um, uh, asked me to talk about, we actually looked at doing um, uh, low voltage lighting uh, throughout the home. Uh, we worked, looked at a company called Loxone, uh, the availability of products for that are still a little bit um, um, kind of, we just can't find them. That's really what it is. You kind of stuck. If you go with Loxone, you're kind of stuck with their products. You can't mix and match so much. So, but I think that is, that is something that's going to become more and more important in the future. I'm like, I'm looking forward to seeing, um, seeing that change.
0: Well, any final thoughts, uh, maybe Ken, as we wrap things up here?
1: Well, I just wanna thank you, it's been a real pleasure and uh, I've enjoyed the conversation with uh, you Aaron and Rich. And um, I think in general, you know, the trends are positive. I think we're moving the right direction towards electrification, low carbon, better building materials, more comfortable homes, healthier homes um, and more homes that are powered by renewable energy. So I feel just very optimistic about the direction we're going. And we've talked a ton on this podcast about uh, California, and I hope it wasn't too much for our listeners, but this is happening in other states as well. Washington state has a new code that's uh, really pushing everything to really be a performance home, in my opinion. Oregon's right there as well. And, you know, I think it's, it's just, it's a trend that's going to continue rippling through cities and states.
0: I would, awesome add, I, I would add Colorado in that mix. Yeah, I was
1: going to say Boulder, Yeah, especially in Colorado. and So um, I'm, like I said, just happy the way things are going. I think there's a lot of upside for uh, manufacturers that make very efficient products that kind of feed into the trends that we're um, going to be seeing here or seeing already. Uh, so yeah, I, I just feel really good about things and uh, it's a matter of educating people and then getting the trades more comfortable too with what's happening in and uh, you know, being able to do this, for example, when I did my heat pump water heater, it was hard to find a plumber who knew what I was talking about. The inertia of doing what we've always done the same way we've always done it versus learning something new and offering a new type of product and service, I think uh, is where we really need to push.
2: Ken, Ken's right there. I think that one of the beauties about um, um, high-performance homes is that um, it's great for the occupants and great for the environment at the same time. So to to have that link together is really great because everybody wants a high performance home. They may not know it, but that's what they want. So it really helps it to have that. So, you know, who's going to say, I don't want a high performance home there. Everybody wants the benefits of that. And it actually is going to help drive us uh, improve things for the environment too. So, um, and I know, you know, as Ken said, we've been talking about California, a lot, um, and but you know, as California goes, so does the rest of the country. So we're pioneering a lot of things here um, that um, you know other states that might be behind in some of this. We we have a pathway for them because people in these other states where they're not even thinking about high performance homes actually do want it, Um, you know, there's, uh, you know, if you're in Fargo, North Dakota, you know, everybody understands thermal comfort up there. So, um, uh, but we can learn from them some of the things that they've done up there too. So the only thing
0: I know for certain is um, we need the hyperheat technology up here, right? We're actually calling this
1: the year of hyperheat.
0: You can operate down to minus 13, minus 15 Fahrenheit now, which is absolutely incredible. Yeah. More remote areas when you look at the payback versus propane. So if you had a propane furnace versus a heat pump, I mean, it's instant, instant, but it's very, very quick payback. And the, the thing I would maybe add to wrap all this up is, I'm amazed when you look at the high performance homes and the pieces that it's made up of, is there are incredible products available on the marketplace. That have been proven, you know. Maybe we're not quite there with um, low voltage lighting yet, but I think it's an area that's coming. From what I've heard from some of the big lighting manufacturers like uh, Hubble Eye Devices, Progress is really working hard on this. But there are just incredible products for homeowners that will surprise and delight you. And it's—I know Ken and I both like to say—it's like that experience of driving an EV car, where you go, "Why wasn't I always doing that?" Right. That, to me, is the definition of a high-performance home. I think it's been so great today to, to learn from each of you where California is going as you guys continue to push the envelope out there. So with that, I want to thank both of you. And uh, we'd absolutely love to have you back another time. But this was oh. great today.
2: Thank you. It's Thanks, really Aaron. A pleasure. Yeah, right. a lot of fun. Thank you. Enjoyed it so very
0: much. Thank you.